1 verses 8 to 13. Continuing on the story of the prophecy of the birth of John. And we're a few weeks in now. We haven't got that far, but that's okay because we've got the rest of our lives and there's plenty of time to go through the Bible. Luke chapter 1, verse 8 to 13, it says, Now while he, and that's Zechariah, was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you'd give grace today, that you would speak. Lord, through me, as I'm speaking, you would speak to your people. Lord, for edification, for building up, for encouragement, for strengthening. strengthening. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you give the, the spirit of truth in the hearing of the people. And I take authority over every unclean thing that would hinder or distract and break its power. And I thank you, Lord, for grace over this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I uh, dropped a knife on my iPad, so I'm using a backup, which turns off on me every few minutes. So I've got to make sure I keep on top of that. Zechariah the priest. So Zechariah is a Levite. He's a descendant of Aaron. What am I causing a problem here with? Nico? Nico's not sure, but I'm making something. I'm doing something wrong. Um, he's, a, he's a priest. He's a descendant of Aaron. And most of uh, a Levite or a priest time would be spent in their hometown. These guys, they were just um, regular people basically most of the time. They would have worked a job or they would have uh, had a farm, or they might have been laborers, or whatever it was that they did. They were often the lowest end of the economic um, community of Israel because they relied, uh, they didn't have uh, inheritance in the land. So they didn't have generations upon generations of Levites owning land. They were kind of more reliant on the generosity of the people. But these guys would live in a town, and we know that uh, Zechariah lived in the hills, hill country of Israel. So that's all good, but then twice a year, for a week at a time, they would go into uh, Jerusalem and serve at the temple for, uh, as part of a team. So it says there that Levi, he was part of a division, and basically you had a group of Levites who were selected to go twice a year for a week to go serve at the temple to keep the thing running. So that's pretty special. Don't get to do that very often. Two weeks a year, you're going into the, city, into the city, serving at the temple, part of the worship, making everything happen for the regular people so that they can worship the Lord, so that they can offer their sacrifices. That's what you're called to do. But this particular occasion of which we're talking about is more special than those regular two weeks. Because on this particular occasion, it says that Zechariah had been chosen. I'm going to switch microphones. Is that what I'm going to do? Yes? Great. Sorry. So this occasion was more special because Zechariah had been chosen by Lot to offer incense on the altar. Now, this job was not a regular job. In fact, you only got to do this once in your lifetime if you ever got to do it at all. Because essentially, they would cast lots, which was like throwing dice, to pick a priest who had never done it before, and that person would get a chance to go in on the one day one time a year or one time in their lifetime to basically sprinkle some uh, incense onto the, uh, a burning pot that would then cause uh, that smoke to rise up to heaven and that represented the prayers of the people of God. 
you'll see the same thing happening later on in Revelation. You'll see quite a few times, in fact, I think it occurs seven times, incense of the prayers of God rising up to God in heaven. So it's symbolic. This was a symbolic thing representing the people of God's prayers. And a priest got to do it once in their lifetime. That is a literal once in a lifetime opportunity to stand before the Lord. And I want to see what happens in this moment. Because it says that when he's there all alone offering the incense, it says there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. At that once in a lifetime moment in the presence of God, Zechariah has an encounter with God, with an angel of the Lord, and receives a message in answer to his prayer. And I, I sort of was thinking a bit about this, and I noticed that it says, your prayer, and it's only one. Your one prayer has been answered. And I checked it. I'm not a Greek expert, but it turns out that is singular. There's just one prayer got prayed. And I thought, what prayer is the angel talking about? Because... Is it all the prayers that Zechariah had prayed all his life? Or is it that right there in that moment, that one particular moment, Zechariah prayed? He was, his job was to present the prayers of the people, burn the incense, do this particular task. But I think I imagine that somewhere in that moment, he also cried out to God. He also prayed. That's pretty consistent with the way the Bible talks about the people of God encountering God is that people have a moment of desperation and they cry out to God and in that moment God answers them. I believe Zechariah took his chance and he thought I'm going to be before the altar only once in my life. And for them, unlike for us, you and I can go before God anytime we want to. You have open access and most of us honestly should be embarrassed about how little we take uh, advantage of that. But these guys didn't have that chance. You couldn't just pray to God the same way we can. There was a whole rigmarole associated with it. God was in heaven. He was not accessible the same way he is for us. But for them, for, for Zechariah, he took that opportunity and he thought, I'm here before the Lord. This is my chance. I want to pray and I want to seek the Lord. And the angel says to him, your prayer has been answered. And we won't go ahead too far in the story, but I don't think Zechariah was praying for a son. And the reason I don't think that is because when the angel says you're going to have a son, Zechariah says that's not possible. Which makes me think he probably didn't just pray it two seconds earlier. So I don't know what he prayed. But I think what he did was his lifetime of seeking God. It says of him, we said this last week, that they were righteous and blameless before God. Zechariah and his wife loved the Lord, were passionate for him, they wanted God. I think that lifetime of seeking God found a climax in that special moment and there his heart cried out to God saying, I need you, I want you, something else. And God says, I am answering your prayer. I've heard your prayer. And that brings me to what I am talking to us about today, which is, I called this message, Don't Miss Your Shot. Um, and what I was thinking about is, I was like, what about us? What about our unique once-in-a-lifetime opportunities to seek the Lord? Or what about the more mundane ones, the more frequent ones? Are we the kind of people who take 
our chances when they come to seek the Lord, or are we not? And my heart is that we would be the kind of people who seek the Lord. I desperately want to be a church that is hungry for God, that wants God, that doesn't give up on seeking God. Like in two weeks' time, we've got someone coming, and I believe he's a minister of God who carries anointing. And I want to be honest with you, come hungry, come expectant. And maybe there's other opportunities in your lifetime. Maybe there's been a conference. Maybe there isn't a big conference. Maybe it's your quiet time early in the morning or late at night, or maybe it's Sunday morning. But the question I've got for us is, are we coming before the Lord with a heart that prays to seek Him, or are we not? Because I believe if you're not, then you're going to miss stuff that you will receive if you have that heart towards God. And I hope I can show that to you and prove it to you in the next little moment. I want to imagine a few alternative scenarios. I want to pretend that there is a multiverse and let's pretend there's multiple Zechariahs and let's jump into one of them and imagine a different kind of Zechariah on that particular day. This Zechariah is distracted. We've all been distracted, right? We all know what that feels like. So let's imagine this Zechariah, he, uh, he woke up that morning and he got down to the temple and he's got his robes on and they stood in a big circle. This is how they used to do it. They'd stand in a big circle and basically, the, the, I believe it was the high priest or the guy in charge, he would stand there and there'd be sort of smoke bowling up and then they'd cast lots. Everyone would reach out their hands and then basically they would put their hand on the person who was anointed to go and do the job, right? So there's Zechariah, he's standing there and then suddenly his hand gets touched and imagine... He's me for a moment. All of a sudden, the entire hopes and dreams and expectations of Israel are upon you. All of a sudden, you're the guy. Everybody wants to know what you're doing. It says in that passage later on, it says that all the rest of the people waited outside worshiping. They knew where he was going. The expectation on him, the the thing of like, what is going on? And you imagine, he gets a little anxious and he starts to think, well, I don't want to stuff this up. And so he comes up before the altar of the Lord and he's just so busy thinking about don't spill the incense, don't drop the, don't do anything, don't come out with your pants on fire, don't do anything wrong. And he's completely distracted. And he doesn't pray because he's too busy thinking about doing it right, doing it wrong. What are people going to think? Maybe he's thinking about what people will think, but in another way, he's thinking, oh, everyone's going to be so proud of me back in the village when I get to tell them that I got to go in and burn the incense. Once in a lifetime chance, not everyone gets to do it. In fact, maybe only 70% of any priest ever got to do this job. Look at me go. I'm doing myself an honor. And he's thinking all about what other people are going to think. And so when he goes before the Lord, he's not thinking about whether or not God is there and can I seek him. He's thinking about what everybody else thinks about him and what he's going to tell them when he leaves. Or maybe he's kind of used to the temple. And he's seen this happen a hundred times, a thousand times. He's an elderly man. He's been doing it a long time. And so he's a bit like, oh, well, it's a nice chance. But honestly, what I'm really looking forward to is the fancy lunch my wife's going to prepare for me in honor of this great occasion. Either way, he's distracted. His mind's not there. His heart's not there. And he doesn't pray the prayer and the angel can't say to him, your prayer has been answered because he never seeks him and he never prays. Distraction will kill your chances to meet the Lord. And I'm going to give you a scripture to prove it because I'm not making this up. Later in the book of Luke, 
I'm going to give you good examples from Luke when I can, even though we're going to get there as well. But this is from Luke chapter 10. There is an example of, I think, this exact principle at work, the principle of distraction. It says this, Luke chapter 10 and verse 38 through to 42. As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman, Martha, welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Martha didn't take her chance. She didn't know what was standing in front of her. Martha had, maybe there was some, we, we can see there's a relationship between Jesus and Mary and Martha and their brother because he's the, Lazarus is one they raised from the dead. So maybe Jesus had been there before. I, I suspect he had. I reckon Jesus had been there a couple of times. And maybe the first time, Martha was blown away. Oh my goodness, this guy's healing people and it's incredible. And then it's like number three or four or five or six, or maybe it's number 60, and Jesus comes in and, and she's like, well, we've got to put some food on for all these people. You don't have to worry so much about whether or not that is annoying. Um, we don't to, oh, that's not going to work, but you'll have to ignore it. I'll ignore it. You ignore it. We'll both ignore it together. Um, so you just imagine that in, in comes Jesus, and she's too busy thinking about everything else. And so she's just off with the fairies. Instead of thinking about Jesus, she's thinking about the food. She's thinking about her guests. She's trying to make sure everyone's well fed. Everyone's looked after. And that's all very important. And that's all very good. But she doesn't know what's standing in front of her because what she is experiencing is not just a once in a lifetime opportunity, but a once in the whole of human history. Nobody else outside of that generation will ever have Jesus over to lunch and let him preach. Not going to happen. Martha missed her shot, even though her shot was so enormously obvious to anybody outside of it. You and I, the prophets, Moses, Elijah, all the rest of them, they'd be standing in heaven going, what are you doing? Jesus is in your house. Don't worry about the food. It can go cold. It's not a problem. Receive something from God. And yet Martha, and let's be clear, Martha does not receive anything except for a lesson. And I don't know about you, but I don't like to be the guy that gets the lesson when God's around. And I sometimes am that guy, right? Sometimes next to me is the person, they're receiving all the gifts. And meanwhile, I'm getting a little bit of a scolding. <laughs> Alex, your attitude was bad. You should fix your attitude. And next time you'll receive something other than a lesson. <laughs> it's good that Martha got what she got. But the truth is Jesus was not impressed. It says, Mary has chosen the good portion. Distraction matters. It's a problem. And we live in the most distracted age of all time, and it is killing us. There's no question that it's killing us. What are you supposed to do about distraction? Is the fix for distraction simply a matter of focusing really hard? How many of you have tried? I used to be homeschooled, and um, I know real school is distracting too, but homeschooling, Mum puts you with your workbook and she says, I want you to do the work. And you sit there and thank the Lord there were no phones. But there's a white desk in front of me and it went up and I would just start to stare at it. And I would start to count the lines in the like 
whatever the timber was, just like one, two, three, four. And oh, stop being distracted. Mama come past. Alex, you're distracted. Start working. What are you going to do? I'm going to focus really hard. And then you start falling off to sleep because you're bored, right? It's very hard to overcome distraction by focusing really hard. But there is a cure for distraction. And I know what it is. Because um, we've all seen kids play with their food. And we've all seen dogs play with their food. And we've all seen people play with their food. And then sometimes we've seen somebody who's hungry, a baby who's hungry, a dog who's hungry, a person who's hungry. And you know what they don't do? They don't play with their food. When we're hungry, when you're desperate, when you're starving, you don't do anything else except for attend to the food in front of you, right? If you're really hungry and someone wants to come out and they're saying to you, look, I've got this wonderful preparation and can you pay attention to the the color of the icing sugar or something? You're like, I don't care. Just give me the food. I'm hungry. I don't care about the other stuff. I'm hungry. See, the thing about distraction is distraction results from essentially a lack of value on the thing that you're supposed to be paying attention to. So your priorities go out of whack And they start to be focused on other things. And so subsequently, it's impossible for you to pay attention to what's in front of you because you just don't care about it that much. Mary was convinced that being a good host, her reputation, her um, generosity, her care, she thought that was the most important. And so she wasn't thinking about Jesus' words because she wasn't hungry for them. But she was hungry to serve him a good meal She thought that was the most important thing. Mary thought Jesus was the most important thing. And that's why Jesus says Mary has chosen the good portion. And the word portion there is a reference to food. Mary was hungry and so Mary got to eat. Martha missed it because she wasn't hungry for the right thing. And a lot of us miss our chances with God because we think that work or that dating or that our money or that our family, or that the sport, or that any other number of things are more important. And so when the opportunity arises and we're before the Lord, we're just distracted because He is a lower priority. So the way that you cure it is you start to pray and ask the Lord to give you a hunger for Him. I think you also start to identify the stuff that is maybe stopping you from being hungry for Him and start to discipline it down. This is one of the reasons why Christians fast food. I know these days fasting has become a useless term that means not watching TV for a week, but true fasting is not eating. And the reason it's not eating is because it's meant to make you hungry. And the reason it's meant to make you hungry is it's meant to help your spirit man overcome the flesh so that you realize that man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that comes from the mouth of God. And that concept of living by bread alone is also the same as living by reputation and a comfortable life and a wife and a girlfriend and a good job and whatever other number of thousand things that are trying to stop you from being hungry for God. One of the reasons we fast is to kill it so that we love the Lord more. That's just one of the weapons that God gives Christians to help us more hung- be more hungry for Him. And there's many others. But if you pray, if you ask the Lord, make me hungry, you're going to find out what's stopping you from being hungry. If you pay attention, say you're in church and say there's a moment in worship and the Lord's present, but you're not because you're off thinking about something else. Maybe identify, why am I thinking about that more than the Lord? What is it? I I do this, right? Sometimes I'm 
um, thinking about something else when, you know, like there's a moment, you'll, you'll sing a line in a song and you sort of think, and you think that is a powerful line. You know, some, some great work. Like, I love you, Lord. I lift my voice to worship you. Okay, that's worth doing. And yet here I am thinking about something else and I go, okay, my heart's unbalanced. Lord, would you help me fix that? I wanna put that thing down. I wanna get hungry for God because I don't want to miss my chances. Zechariah was an elderly man. All those years of seeking the Lord and he still wanted God. And I'm not saying he did it perfectly and I'm not saying you and I have to do it perfectly either, but he was hungry for God. And so when he had the chance, his heart cried out to him. And that's what I really wanna be. In the end, that's what I wanna be. I don't necessarily wanna do it perfectly because I know I won't. But if Jesus happened to come into my living room, I'd wanna be the kind of person who was hungry enough for him that even if it was the most lousy prayer you could pray, my heart cried out and said, Lord, I want you. I need you. Let's imagine another Zechariah, second type. I think both these types cover most of us most of the time. This Zechariah is elderly. He has been walking with the Lord a long time. And as I said last week, he still hasn't received the one thing in his society that meant that you were successful. He never has had a child. His name is ending. His legacy is ending. His reputation in the community has dropped. And as a result, Zechariah is disappointed. He's cynical and he's hard-hearted. All these years, God, I've served you. All these years I've prayed and you've never given me the one thing I asked for. I decided that you don't, I, you don't care anymore. And if you don't care, then I don't care. And so sure, I'll go serve you. I'll go into the temple, I'll offer some worship and sure, it's a special moment. But you know what? I'm a little distant because you've let me down. And so I'll do it all kind of robotically. And I won't even make eye contact with the important things. I'll kind of look up here or look down at my feet or avoid it because I don't think you're going to do anything for me, thank you very much, because you've always let me down before. And the heart gets hard. And it gets cocooned behind layers of disappointment. And you don't pray. In fact, you barely look up. And that's quite a lot of people. There's a lot of people. I see them sometimes. From up here, I can see a fair bit. You see some people come in and you can see that they just don't want to see God because they don't want to be let down again. And we can talk about maybe what they're really seeking and maybe why they need to seek the Lord and not just His gifts. The truth is, though, you must guard against having a hardness of heart. Having true faith, having a heart towards God does not mean you won't be disappointed. It doesn't mean you won't, you'll always feel 100% confident in God. We often talk about Abraham being the father of faith and he is the father of faith and we kind of imagine that if he's the father of faith, he must never have felt any doubt. But you read the story of Abraham and he doubts God quite a lot. You know, the first time round, he says, give me a sign to prove this is real. Then after a while, God doesn't answer him. So he goes, maybe I'll try doing it myself. We'll fix this problem. Who needs God? Just take my wife's servant. The third time round, God turns up and says, I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham laughs at him. He says, you're going to give a son to someone in their old age? Abraham had plenty of reason to be cynical, plenty of reason to be disappointed. And he didn't always feel 100% confident, but we know that he had faith because ultimately he obeyed God. 
ultimately, despite the fact that he felt disappointed, let down, frustrated, his final decision was, I'm going to trust you. There's a story, you know, of the disciples. They're fishing on a boat. And Jesus says to them, put down into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Peter answers, he says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say, I will let down the nets. Peter says, God, I've been trying for a long time and I've never caught anything. And I don't know if I want to do it again because if I do it again, I'm going to be disappointed again. And then faith and a hunger for God overcomes that and he says, because you say, I will let down the nets. Because you say, I'm going to trust you one more time. And you know the story. The nets get full. They're too full to they break. It's a whole big thing, right? Everyone knows the story. And the thing about it is that Zechariah is an old man and Zechariah knows that it's probably impossible for him to have a child. And Zechariah feels like God's let him down a bit. And nonetheless, he's standing before the Lord and he prays one more time. He still takes his opportunity. And I want to be like that. Like, honestly, that's my dream. I want to be like Peter. I like Peter. Master, I've worked hard all night and I haven't caught anything. But because you say, I will let down the nets. Because it's you, Jesus. Because I trust you. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where you've been. I don't know why you haven't answered. I don't know why it's been so long that you haven't answered. I've worked so hard. I'm so tired. If I'm Zechariah, I'm kind of old at this point. And even still, I still trust it's you. And because it's you, I'm going to do it one more time. And I want us to be that kind of people because you don't know. You don't know what God's about to do. You don't know what God's about to, how he's about to work. We always think, well, this is it. God's proven it. He's never going to work again. And yet the Bible is basically a story of people getting to that point and then God working. Read the Bible again. I want us to be people who don't miss our chances. And the point of the message is not to make you anxious. Someone who goes, oh, no, I might miss all my chances. I do want to guard against complacency. And I do also want to deal with the fact that we need to remember that God, listen, uh, Nathan Finocchio points out that a lot of modern Christians imagine Jesus as like a desperate boyfriend. And some of you ladies have had desperate boyfriends. And desperate boyfriends, and some of you boys have been desperate boyfriends, right? We've all been there. And a desperate boyfriend is somebody who, it doesn't matter what you do, he's still going to be there. And so he gives you a text, hey, can we get coffee tonight and you go oh I'm thinking about it but maybe I'm not sure and then you sort of blow him off a little bit but next morning he's there oh you're so wonderful and beautiful we get coffee tonight and you're like oh well actually I'd rather go up my friends and he's right there back again because he's so desperate and he thinks you're so wonderful and you can do whatever you want to him and he's off in the di- and he just keeps on coming after you because it doesn't matter what you do he just loves you so much that he wants to be with you and a lot of us think Jesus is like that and can I tell you totally wrong the Bible does not not say that about Jesus. In fact, the Bible's pretty clear that there are points where Jesus goes, okay, off you go. I'm still here. You be the desperate boyfriend. Because as for me, I'm God. I'm sovereign. Don't think, listen, God is gracious. God does come back to us, praise the Lord. He does come in our weakness, but he is not somebody who you can just ignore 
blow off, take for granted, and still get all the things that he wants to give you. And we know that because Jesus says to Martha, Mary chose the better portion. And if the word better is there, it means the word's worse is there. And he's saying, Martha, you chose bad. And he doesn't say, but don't worry, Martha, I still love you so much, I'm gonna make it so as if you never did, I'm gonna reverse the whole thing. No, he says, actually, just you know what? Next time, don't miss your shot. Because you don't know what next time will be. You've got to treat Jesus like he is. He's not the desperate boyfriend. I hate to break it to, a, to us all. Please don't treat him like that. He's a king. He's loving. He's holy. He's God. If we lose sight of who he is, we stop seeking him. We stop hungering for him. And maybe it's because we're distracted, because we're not really hungry for God. Maybe it's because we're disappointed. Maybe we just don't believe that God really wants to do anything anyway. But I know people come to church. Listen, I don't hold church. I don't do what I do because I think that it's important just to do what I do. I do it because I believe that God wants to advance the kingdom. It's a spiritual reality that I believe he wants to work. And let's be honest, if I didn't think God was ever going to do anything, I'd stop coming. And sometimes I feel that way. You can ask Sarah. Sometimes it's at about quarter to ten. And I think, I don't know if I can do it again, Lord. Because it feels like you're not always working. But the truth is that faith is persistently believing that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he'll do. And it's never giving up. And sometimes you feel like he's given up. And sometimes you feel like he's abandoned you. But you are meant to hold on. And people of faith take their chances. People of faith don't miss them. On the other hand, there are plenty of people. I don't know what they think, but they've given up. They're not Zechariah. They don't go before the altar and pray. In fact, they don't go before the altar at all. They're very lazy with their pursuit of God. They think God's a desperate boyfriend. They think it doesn't matter if I don't talk to him for six months, 12 months, 18 years, 43 years. I can go to church once a year. He'll still be on my doorstep. No stress. He will not. There will come a point where, and even if he is, there will come a point, and the Apostle Paul says this, that you will enter heaven by the skin of your teeth. And that is not a pleasant way to enter. And the reason is because God is gracious, he's very kind, but you missed all the chances he gave you. He wanted to do good things to you. He wasn't that he was mean or angry or harsh. He just says, I want to do good things to you. Will you keep trusting me? Will you keep seeking me? The reason we seek the Lord every day, if you're a Christian, you pray every day, you read your word every day, you do whatever, whatever it is you're doing, it's because you're saying, Lord, I want you and I want you today. Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. In other words, I'm hungry for you now. I'm not hungry for you later. I'm not hungry for you when I feel like it. I'm hungry for you every single day, even the days that I don't think you're gonna do anything. I'm not gonna miss my shot. The people who receive are the people who continually trust in God. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 to 8, and I'll close on this. He says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought because it does not cease to bear fruit. 
I love this verse. I've talked about it before and I'll keep talking about it again. But the person who trusts in the Lord, even in seasons of drought, still receives from Him because their heart keeps on seeking Him. I don't know what the future holds for you or for me or for the church or for the nation. My suspicion is things are not going to get easier. However, my other suspicion and my other conviction is that if the Bible is true at all, it's true in this. If you will seek God, you'll find Him. If you'll be hungry for God, you'll receive from Him. If you won't be complacent and lazy, those of you who are complacent and lazy, I have nothing but warnings for you. And you know, one of the things I'm gonna do, endeavoring as I get older, get grayer, is to make sure I remind people that God's not a joke. He's not a joke. He's not a toy you get to play with. He's not, a, not even an organization or an institution or some nice little polite service. And you know what? I, I'm Frankly, I'm tired of the way the church is so often viewed by us as if it was some sort of little, you know, like the local YMCA or something. It's not. We are the people who seek the Lord. The, the Lord, holy, mighty, majestic, the one who can do all things. We prayed it, we, we sung it in worship and that was on purpose because God is the one who can do things. And there's plenty of stuff in my life and in my heart that I wanna see God do that He hasn't done yet. And there's plenty of stuff in yours. But as for me, I don't wanna be distracted and I don't wanna be disappointed and I don't wanna be double-minded. I brought that little scripture earlier. And when James is talking about double-minded people, the double-minded person is the person who doesn't know if they believe God, so they never try. Tossed back and forth, I'm not sure. You imagine Zechariah walking into that temple and he stops. Oh, is this a chance? Should I do it? And I don't know. And then he gets before the Lord and he's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And if you want to overcome it, then just ask. Maybe Zechariah didn't feel a lot of faith. Maybe he felt like, I don't know if God's going to answer me, but he just thought I'm going to try it anyway because I do believe that God could answer. And that's the essence of faith. When Jesus says faith as small as a mustard seed, he's not talking about quantity. He's really talking about quality. Quality of faith is the Father who says to God, I believe, help my unbelief. It's the faith that says, I don't know what I feel. I don't know where I'm at. I think I am distracted. I think I am disappointed. But even with all those things, I'm still going to ask again. I'm still going to pray again. I'm still going to seek again. I'm going to be hungry again. Because I know that you can, even if I don't always feel it, I know it. I trust it. I believe it. And if you have that kind of faith, that's the faith as small as a mustard seed. And God will do great things for you. Just as we're going to find out, He does great things for Zechariah and for his wife Elizabeth. And in fact, as you're going to read throughout the book of Luke, He does great things for everybody who seeks Him. And that's what Christianity is really about. We're about bringing people to God. Seeing them born again, seeing them saved so they can have a relationship with the Lord. And that's the point of this church the point of my existence is to love the Lord, serve the Lord, know the Lord and help other people to do the same thing because if you'll find God, you'll find His will for your life and that's going to be the best will and you'll see good things happen. I'm going to pray. Why don't you bow your heads? Father, we thank You that You are faithful and true. Lord, I ask that we would not be people who miss our chances because we're complacent and we're careless or because we're disappointed and hard-hearted or because we're distracted and not hungry. And I ask that you'd stir up in this house hunger 
for you, hunger for your opportunities. Lord, we ask that, Father, every opportunity this year that you put in front of us, whether it's a a prayer in the morning, whether it's the Word of God, whether it's a a sermon or whether it's worship or whether it's an event, whatever it might be, I ask that we be kind of people who be hungry enough to see it and to eat it and to take it and to receive from it, that we would not be those who hardened their heart and who did not receive what God had to give them. And Lord, we pray that you'd soften every heart, you'd encourage every mind, you'd fill everybody in this room. Lord, I ask that today you'd encounter people. You're the living God. Holy Spirit, would you come and rest on this room? Lord, whoever is double-minded, would you now give them the wisdom that causes them to be single-minded in trusting the Lord? Whichever one of us is disappointed, whoever is discouraged, would you strengthen the arms? Would you lift the faith? And would you stir a hunger in our souls that, Lord, causes us to run after you day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. So we pray these things. Lord, I ask also that you'd go with our people, you'd bless them, you'd fill them with your spirit. This week would be a great week. We thank you, Lord. And we surrender all things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.